0: This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. This is a One and All Media podcast. Today.
1: Today. Today.
0: Today with Jeff Finds.
1: We are taking the gospel to the world.
0: Pastor, apologist and Bible teacher Bringing people far from God, near to God.
1: We believe in one truth that will be delivered in love and compassion. Connecting every one person to all that God has promised them.
0: Today, today, today with Jeff Vines. Welcome. Thanks for joining me. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the members on the team here at One and All Media. And in this episode, Pastor Jeff is warning us here comes temptation. And we're going to be looking at James chapter one. We'll hear about the temptations that are fueled by our own desires, what Pastor Jeff refers to as the enemy within. We'll also hear how to respond biblically to those temptations that lead us away from life with God. Here's Pastor Jeff now.
1: We start a series, uh, James chapter one, James chapter one. And as you're turning there, just let me ask you a question here. Did you? Uh, did you ever play hide and seek when you were little boys and girls? Yeah? How did you count? One hippopotamus, two hippopotamus, one Mississippi, two Mississippi. I'm from the South. We couldn't say words that big. We just went 1,001, 1,002. Uh, Which one of your siblings was the cheater? You know, the guy who said... 1,001, 1,002, and he's counting, but he's moving already and watching where you're hiding. Because if you play the game properly, you count one Mississippi, two Mississippi, then at the end of 10 Mississippis, you say rather loudly so that everybody can know this is happening. You say, ready or not, here I come which meant if you spent more time thinking about where you're going to hide rather than hiding, you're going to get caught. Or if you tried to squeeze into the washing machine, as my little brother Jody did when we were smaller, what you discover is, number one, you can't fit in. Number two, you're halfway in, you can't get out either, and you get caught. Or if you're one of those, you always go right for the kitchen sink, right underneath the sink. Uh, First of all, you're not very smart because that's the first place it looks, so you're going to get caught. The point is that statement, ready or not, here I come. You're going to encounter so many different things this year, and it doesn't really matter if you're ready or not. They're still coming. Obstacles, tragedies, successes, failures, challenges with your kids and your marriage. They're all coming, and there's nobody around the corners counting to 10, even giving you ready or not. Here I come. No, they're coming. And The reality is the first thing you're going to have to deal with the first thing is the same thing you've been dealing with because the reality is just because you got a new year doesn't mean you can erase everything that happened last year. Don't you wish that's the way it could be? That you wake up on January 2nd and you're in the mirror, dude, where'd that 50 pounds go? Wouldn't that be great just erased? What about, what about if you could just suddenly notice that you no longer have a desire for alcohol, or pornography, or food in a way that was paramount in your life? Wouldn't it be great if that desire just left? How about the affair that you had last year? You just woke up and suddenly you realized in the next year, she's gone. Temptation's not there. That's a dream world though, isn't it? In the real world, that destructive habit, that thing that's trying to destroy you, it's hoping to swallow you up like ugly on a street cat. Ready or not, here it comes. And how you respond according to scripture makes all the difference. It's going to either lead you to a life of vitality or death and despondency. Now, I want you to stay with me here because I'm going to beat this thing to death for a few minutes. And I have to do that in, in order for all of us to get it from whatever angle we're approaching. Because the Bible tells you that while there's going to be many adversaries that try to suck the life right out of you, that there is one particular one that has the potential to really get your attention. There is one uniquely made for you that can destroy you. We call this the, or the Bible does, the enemy within. And James puts it like this in verse 14 of chapter 1. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So the Bible tells you, and by the way, right from the get-go... If you see law keeping in the Bible as just the way to restrict your life, if you think, if you think following Jesus is just about a, a system of rules of do's and don'ts, you're, you're so far behind. That's another message. You've got a God who's a loving father. And I'll illustrate that in a moment. So any restriction he gives you is not to rob you of joy, but to make sure you keep the joy within the parameters of life. So, my dad, my father, as an old Southern boy, my wife and I were in Cincinnati, Ohio, going to graduate school. And in front of the Brandy Chase Apartments, and I've told this story before, was uh, an old catfish. They had named him Old Sam, and he was a menace. Uh, but, but no one could catch him. And so my father's driving six hours to come up to Ohio to visit his grandson, Delaney. He's the first grandson. But I tell him the story on the way to the apartments. And he doesn't even wait till he's seen his grandson because he's a good old Southern boy. He doesn't go anywhere without his fishing bait, tackle, rod, and reels in the back of his trunk. And he says, oh, what do these Northerners know about catching catfish? Let this old Southern boy at it. So he pulls in, gets out, and says, I'll catch old Sam in three to five minutes. And sure enough, three to five minutes, he's got old Sam out of the pond and holding it up high. And by that time, there there were people from the apartments standing out on the veranda just applauding at which point, my father throws him back in. <laughs> and I, I, I said to my father, why, why, are you, why were you able to do that? People have been trying to catch him. He goes, you, you have to know the type of bait to catch old Sam. And it was corn. My dad just took a can of corn and poured it out over the top and then put a bunch of corn on a hook and threw it right in the middle of it and knew sooner or later Sam would bite. Sam did. And to the mercy of my father, he got to live. Dad knew exactly the type of bait that would work on old Sam. And even old Sam, think about old Sam. It's like old Sam had said to everybody at the Brandy Chase Apartments, dudes, you're going to have to bring something bigger than that if you're going to get me out of here. He knew the risk, but it was so overwhelming to him, he fell for the bait. I used to use the same story with the bug zappers. Do you remember when they came out? And I remember when they first came out, or at least when I first discovered them back in the 80s. We were home on furlough from Africa, and I was in... uh, Fort Myers, Florida, on a Sunday evening after I'd preached, and I was talking with the pastor and his family, and I kept hearing this zapping noise. And finally, I looked up, and it was my first encounter with the bug zapper. Now, you think about the bug zapper. I was so enamored with it. I did a little research. You know, scientists really studied for a long, long time what would appeal bugs to bugs. How do you do that? Do you interview them? You know, But evidently, June bugs were the first inspiration, these big, ugly bugs we have in the South that can ruin any summer picnic. And so they figured out that there's a certain light that is so overwhelming to the bug that even though the June bug flies up to the light and sees all the dead bugs in the tray, okay, rather than going back and telling all his June bug friends, don't go toward the blue light, it's beautiful, but it will kill you, he still flies into it and it electrocutes him and he dies. Zap. Just one after the next. Zap. Zap. The Bible says there is one particular temptation in your life that is so overwhelming to you that you can't just say no to it. Did you know that? It's so overwhelming. It's connected with what the Bible calls an epi desire. In the verse, it says that we are dragged away and enticed by our own evil desire. And translators forever have tried to say, what is this word epitomia? translated evil desire? And an epitomia is an epicenter. It is an epi desire. In other words, if there's an earthquake, you're going to feel it all around Southern California. But the epicenter, you're going to feel it the most, correct? So you have in you an epi desire. And although there are other desires and temptations, they won't impact you the way this one will, unique to you. You will feel it more than any other temptation. Why? Because it will be tied to all of your life experiences, what happened in your home, your relationship with mom, dad, your brother, your sister, at school, your principal, your teachers, all of that combines to create in you an epi desire that is so powerful and so overwhelming, you will have great difficulty saying no. It could be the past abuse that you suffered physical, emotional, spiritual, any and all kinds of abuse. It could be the destructive home, the life that you had as a child, where your parents failed to provide you a place of hope and security. So now you're tempted to do whatever you have to do to get hope and security. It could be because you lived the life of poverty where fear of never having enough dominated your household. And so now you do what you have to do to overcome that fear. And maybe you had a lack of love and accepted and encouragement in the formative years, which is when you're supposed to have those things. Just like a person who grows up in a house with an alcoholic or gambling father who screams all the time because there's not enough money and there's not enough money because he's wasting it. So the guilt produces anger in him. He takes it out on people that he loves. Then you're a child in that family. You grow up. You have such a fear of not having enough that you're willing to steal or to cheat or to embezzle or to violate financial integrity on the job because the epi desire in you is to make sure you have enough where you're not worrying about your future, so you're willing to do whatever you have to to get it. The point is, all of us are broken to a degree. I am, you are, we are. The world is broken. It doesn't work the way it's supposed to work, and you know that down deep inside. You know that you've lost something, and now you're looking for restoration or redemption. The corn has been dropped into your life. You have your eye on the bait. And even though you know it can kill you, you're still going to go after it because you've convinced yourself that this is the key to your happiness, the key to replacing what's been lost. Hey, folks, this works in so many different areas. I grew up in a family where I learned at a very young age that you receive praise and adoration for success. So I'm a big fish in a small pond. I, am, I live in a town. I grew up in a town where basketball is God. And the whole town, all 15,000 of them, closed down every Tuesday and Friday night for the local high school basketball game. And everybody who is anybody in the town is at the game. And I learned as the captain of the team that when I succeeded, I was showered with free haircuts and praise and adoration. So I became addicted to that. And then you do whatever you have to to be successful. And even though there's something immoral You're willing to step across the line because you're so addicted to praise and adoration and you think you can't live without it that you're willing to do whatever it takes to get it. That's why the Bible says that sin, the essence of sin is not wanting bad things, but wanting things badly. There's something that you depend on, trust in, hope in other than God to heal the brokenness in your heart. And therefore, when you're forced to choose between the two, you choose whatever's on the opposite side of God. Because usually this thing that you're chasing, you know, is morally destructive, but you're still going to go after it. Now, notice again, I did not say that you don't love God. I said that there's something in your life that you need, that you want, that you desire more than God, because you think that thing is the thing you can't live without. And you think that thing will fix you. Let me say it again. The essence of sin is not wanting bad things, but wanting things badly. And those of you who are young right now in your 20s and you're just starting out in your careers, you need to listen to me. Yes, I am old. I got it. But it seems like I was your age just yesterday. This is the reason the Bible teaches that sin is never merely breaking the rules. It's spiritual adultery. It's loving something more than God. You say, well, what are these other lovers, Pastor Jeff? What's when you want to do bad things? No. It's when you want, need, desire anything more than God that it becomes a fatal attraction. You know how many men have sat in my office and said, Jeff, I had this affair, but I didn't have it because I wasn't happy with my wife. I was actually happy and content with my wife, but this woman came along and gave me something that I didn't know that I really wanted and needed. I've had women Say, you know, I really was happy with my husband. Uh, You know, a handsome guy, worked hard, provided for us. But then this other guy came along and made me feel very special. Something that was missing in my life, he gave it to me. The same is true in same-sex attraction. She or he came along and made me feel loved and accepted like nobody of the opposite sex ever had. Something begins to happen in a person's life where they feel bad about themselves. They feel empty. They feel cold. Perhaps paradise lost, or perhaps paradise was never gained in the first place, and they realize I need something different worship, adoration, restoration. I need someone or something to come along and give me that thing that I truly believe I cannot live without and fix this brokenness caused by the experiences of my life. That's why the Bible teaches sin is not just breaking the rules. Sin is when something becomes your power more, your epicenter, paramount in your life other than God, your pseudo-savior. But the irony is, it's the thing that ends up killing you. This is very practical. Let's break it down. I told you I was going to hammer it just for a moment. It's okay to feel good about your work. It's a good thing. Until your work becomes your sense of self-importance, self-esteem, and self-worth. In other words, your whole life, It's about your job and how much money you're making. It's a fatal attraction. It will get your ultimate allegiance. And listen carefully, young guys, young girls, because all sin ultimately leads to death, guess what happens? Your wife leaves you. Why? Because you're married to your job. Your children hate you because they know your whole life is not about them. It's about you and your job and getting more and more stuff. And your relationships around you are functional at best. You use people to get what you want. They're, they're just a means to your end. And anybody who's worked for a boss like that, oh, your life's a living hell. Now, please stay with me here for a moment. Same thing is true about love and relationships. You know, again, if you think that God is all about rule keeping, <laughs> You don't know God as Father as the Bible presents him. You know, we had, this, we had this kid who lived in our little hometown, and his house was adjacent to the park where all the carnivals that would come through would set up during the summertime. His name was Tommy Crow. Tommy Crow's father was an engineer. So because he lived so close to the carnivals, Tommy's father would go over and kind of investigate all of these new contraptions just to make sure they were safe. Because in those days, you know, carnivals came through. You didn't have to have the permits that you have to have now, man. People getting hurt all the time. And this made huge news in our hometown because when Tommy's father went over to investigate, he came back and told his son, do not go to this particular carnival. These contraptions are very dangerous. Tommy, when his father was away, went anyway and was killed on the roller coaster. Made huge news. Now, can I ask you something? Tommy's father restricted him from going to the carnival. Did he do it because he loved him? Was the restriction based on love and knowledge? Yes. Love and knowledge and design. We say in this church, all, we use the example of a sailboat that goes out on the water. It's made to have fun, man, to go out and enjoy the wind and the speed. But if you don't know what you're doing... And you put the boat in the wrong direction in relationship to the wind, you'll destroy the boat. If you try to sail the boat on the rocks, boats weren't made to sail on rocks, it will capsize and, be, and disintegrate. This is a God who's a father who loves you, who gives you parameters because he doesn't want you to violate the design. But if you have an epicenter in you that is just so deeply crying out for a love you didn't get, you will be willing to violate design to get it if it's your epicenter. You'll sleep with your girlfriend, even though you're not married to her, because that's what makes you feel loved and important. You'll cheat on your spouse, because that's what makes you feel like a man or a woman, even though you know this is a violation of design. It's also the reason you will experiment with same sex attraction, because nothing else has worked for you up until this point, so you say, I might as well try something else. But why do we always pick on the same sex attraction when we're sleeping with people we're not married to and cheating on our spouses? Seems a bit unfair these are all fatal attractions. All this is the way sin begins. There's something in your life that you have to have more than Jesus. So that, thing's become, that thing becomes the epicenter. You say, yes, Jesus is nice. God is nice. Yes, I pray to God, Pastor Jeff. But if I don't have this thing, man, I can't live. In fact, when I pray, I pray that God will help me get this thing. Which means you want God to help you become an idolater. That's like me going to my wife and asking her to help me get a date with my mistress. <laughs> That's part one. Okay, let's summarize. You've got an epicenter, an epidesire desire in you that has a lot to do with your upbringing, your environment, everything around you, but make no mistake, there's one thing especially attractive to you. Now, here's the second part. I'm going to hammer it too. When your epi desires entice you away, what happens? Well, the Bible says then conception occurs. And conception means that something on the inside, once it gets in there, is eventually going to come out. And I think it's interesting that James uses the sexual metaphor to illustrate how sin works its way in our hearts. He says, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Now, Heaven forbid that you walk out of here today in the parking lot and you see two people fighting. And suddenly you see one guy smack another guy. Now, if that happens, the slap is not where this issue began. The slap was conceived in anger and later anger gave birth to the slap. Who knows why? It might be because you sang too loud in church and he didn't like it. It might be because you stole his parking place when he was waiting in line. Or it might be that you were tall and you obstructed his view of Pastor Jeff and he didn't like it. <laughs> the point is, something inside the epidesire desire created by your past then is going to sooner or later find its way in conception to be birthed, to come out, and when it matures, death. Which means that all sinful actions begin as little embryos in the heart. Why are you so bitter? Because you think something's been taken from you that you can't live without, so you're just mad. Why are you so anxious and afraid? You're terrified that somebody's going to take something or do something that you value so much and somehow damage it or ruin it, and you think, man, if that happens, I can't live without it. I'm anxious. I'm afraid something's going to happen to my kids or my job or my husband. I'm terrified. I won't get the girl. I won't get the job. I won't get the promotion. I won't get the money I deserve. Your ultimate hope and trust and love is in something other than God. It's okay to want a job. It's okay to want money. It's okay to want all these things until they become your epi-desire, your epicenter. And then the Bible says spiritual adultery, and it leads to death and disintegration. Part three. The Bible says there's only one real cause for sin in our lives. There's only one person to blame for sin. That is spiritual adultery, using something, loving something more than God. Guess who that is? You. Verse 14, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. You know, my little boy Delaney, I don't know, he came out of the womb smart. He did, man. I don't know how many of you know him. He's very quiet, but it it was amazing how smart he was like when he was 10. And he uh, was throwing rocks at the car one day. Now you say, well, how smart can he be? (laughs) And I walked out to the driveway and I said, Delaney, man, I thought we talked about this. Why why are you throwing rocks at the car? And I don't know if he had heard too many sermons by dad or what, but he said, dad, let me give you three reasons. (laughs) True story. Ask his mother. And I kind of smiled and I was taken back. I said, well, what are your three reasons, Delaney? He said, well, number one, I was curious what the sound would sound like when a rock hits a car. Okay. Number two, he said, it was fun. (laughs) But it was the number three answer. He said, dad, I was just overwhelmed by... Something inside me. (laughs) When you say the devil made you do it or I couldn't help it, nobody forces you to do it. You only if you know have you learned this in your life yet, you only do what you really want to do. You're just like the cookie monster, and the cookie monster doesn't hold a sign and say, We'll work for food. The cookie monster says, Want cookie, need cookie, eat cookie. It's that simple. And Jesus warns us. Don't confuse the cause of your sin with the occasion of your sin.
0: You've been listening to Today with Jeff finds. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff.
1: But the choice is still there. And at the end of the day, you're going to do what you want to do. And it's always going to coincide with what you love the most. you got to stop looking at sin as breaking some law. Instead, you got to see it for what it really is spiritual adultery. You love something more than you love God. You think you desire, want, or need, or can't live without something other than God.
0: You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Fines wherever you listen to podcasts. Today. today, 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 with Jeff Vines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to One and All. Media. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to One and All. Media.